It's Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Welcome in. It's Cofield and Company here on ESPN Las Vegas. Efforting Steve Cofield, who is out on the road as UNLV gets ready for their next contest against the Miners of UTEP in a very winnable game. In fact, a game that they are favored to win. So we'll get Steve's thoughts on that. He will be joining us momentarily as we get set for what is a fantastic Cofield and Company. Not as fantastic, I would say, as some of the morning program offered on the mothership ESPN. I think we called it the mothership. Uh, mainly because, you know, we're an affiliate. We'll talk a little bit about Stephen A. Smith because we played – We I was watching this a little bit earlier today, and I sent this in to Steve because I wanted to get his thoughts. I'm not much of like a morning TV watcher, but because I do a lot more work throughout the week, I do get to take in a little bit more. And I was watching our guy Stephen A. Smith, who I am a very big fan of, by the way. Can I just say, I always want to make sure that everybody knows – that while I do have criticisms of Stephen A. Smith, I do think he is an absolutely tremendous, tremendous television talent and radio talent, much like Steve Cofield is. What's up, Steve? Not much, John. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. I see that you have a good couch in the background. It looks like a nice little hotel room. Uh, the weird hotel Sweet. art as well. Oh, it's a suite? It's a very, very expensive room, yes. I only book the best when I go on the road. Um, I want to piggyback on what you said about Stephen A. Because we were kind of getting into him a little bit yesterday and his recent threats, like threatening T.O., uh, also saying that Max wasn't legit because he wasn't a former athlete, nor was he a journalist. Um, and this has been going on for about a week, Stephen A. unplugged. He's also been trying to go at Skip Bayless, saying that Skip pushed his new guy, Shannon Sharp, out. And it's like, wait. You're talking about Max, who you pushed out. Then you're threatening T.O. because you're sounding kind of soft. Then you're trying to be a tough guy by unveiling news that not everyone knows about. I don't know. It's a weird deal. And I, I'm, I'm a longtime defender of Stephen A. Like, I always hear people just kind of brush him off and are like, ah, he's terrible. I'm like, no, he's not terrible. He makes a lot of money because he has a certain style and he's really good at it. But I don't know, man. The last six months, the last couple weeks, he's gotten real loose and he's getting real weird. Yeah, the last few weeks have been the weird one for me. You know, going back to the whole Kellerman bit, how nobody respected him because of the whole journalist angle and not a former athlete. I mean, I don't know where that came from. I, I don't I don't view Stephen A. Smith as a journalist or former athlete. Um, uh, and I don't remember, did Stephen A., I don't even know, does Stephen A. have like a, a massive athletic yeah, background? He worked, he worked in the newspaper business. He worked in Philly and New York. And he, did, he was on the basketball team, I think, at Winston-Salem State. Which, if you remember, J.J. Redick was like, no, 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 right. no. You want to talk basketball with me, you don't understand basketball. I play in the NBA, you played piddly ball. Right. So and he it's... does have an athletic background. And I also, I said it yesterday, I'll say it again for this audience. Max Kellerman does have a journalistic background. I mean, he's been doing this since he's like 15 years old. 
and he is a super knowledgeable guy who's been around forever covering boxing and combat sports, which Stephen A. dabbles in a lot of stuff that he really doesn't know a whole lot about. He can claim he knows about MMA and boxing, but he's certainly not going to say that he's a journalist over Max Kellerman who comes to those sports. So this weird attack about legitimacy, especially with some of the stuff Stephen A. says sometimes, like, Steve, I, where are you going here? And that's going back to that. Like that's that was my thought is at the very least, Stephen A. Smith does not have an athletic career that I can harken back to immediately. And as a journalist, like you might have been a journalist at some point, but I don't know. I, I hope this is not coming across insulting. I don't think you are one anymore. You're an entertainer now. You are a talking head. You you are one that entertains the masses as opposed to performs journalistic duties. And at no point when I ever watched Max Kellerman or Stephen A. Smith did I go, hmm, I don't know, Max. You don't have a great credible, you know, credibility for me because you're not a journalist. Nobody watches first take and thinks journalism. In fact, I like I'd argue it's the opposite. It's like all of these wild and crazy takes that are not based in anything in terms of factuality. It's not anything that has to do with journalism. And I'm with you. I don't know if it's the the looming threat of potentially not becoming irrelevant because I don't think they're going to be. But the fact that maybe the debate television stuff like isn't as popular as it once was, I don't know. But it has been odd to watch him kind of lash out at some folks, and especially for Kellerman, when it just didn't seem like it was necessary. And the shots that he was taking are things that you could point to at Stephen A. Smith and go, bro, you, you've talked about players who are injured for like six months that like they're going to play a role in a game tonight. And they, they haven't been around for a while. You don't know what you're talking about when it comes to certain sports, or at least it seems like, with like baseball and other things. It's such a weird thing for him. What did he pull recently with an opinion on the show about your guy, Otani? Are you talking about the one today or, you, or, or in recent memory? So today he talked about, they were again bringing up Otani and the fact that you're like, hey, is he worth $500 million? And he went on this weird thing that I hate what people do in sports, but especially baseball. Well, he didn't win. I don't want to hear any discussions anymore about him getting a half a billion dollars. I want to hear it, okay? The fact is, is that you can't pitch until 2025, all right? Secondly, it's going to be, you're going to be compromised in terms of what you're able to do in the field. Number three, damn it, the Angels don't win. What are we doing? Baseball I, that's is so – that, that is so stupid. He doesn't have to play the field while he's mending, and he's a 50 – 260 home run guy. If he's not pitching, I think he'll be even more locked in on hitting. He's a 50 to 60 home run guy. And then the other thing is, I know Stephen A is based in the Northeast and maybe has very little knowledge, although there's a gigantic Asian population in the Northeast. The fact that all of Japan and then a good portion of an Asian population here is so into Otani, it's printing money. Yep. I don't understand. I mean, again, I think a lot of this are, hey, let's pick a side and let's go with it. But I think that's what he was trying to state yesterday or a couple of days ago. What was the name of the podcast again? Joe Button? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Right? And he's trying to smash Max as he had no cachet. And Max had Max had some really stupid takes. Well, Stephen A., so do you. Yeah. So does that make you not legitimate because you're doing Embrace Debate TV where you're going to go out to the periphery of Outrageous? And, and that's why I'm I don't understand why the standards are different for him versus Max. And that's why I'm glad you brought up the the lashing out at other people because I I sent this to you guys and, and my question was going to be like do we even respond like do we even react to something like this you know like when you say nobody you know, like people aren't because part of the extension of that that I didn't send in as a time mark was kind of like you're alluding to is like nobody tunes in for it like no they do 
A massive community across the pond tunes in for him. He's massive. You're buying essentially the entire country of Japan when you're signing Shohei Otani to tune into your games. And I thought it was kind of like, all right, do we even react to this anymore? Because like you said, Steve, this is clearly, and I had that exact thought, this is clearly a show where it's like, I'm going to pick this side, you're going to pick this side, and then we're going to talk about this, and we're going to debate about it, whatever. We might not fully believe it, but whatever it is. But the fact that he's starting to poke holes in the legitimacy of others and, and not having the most legitimate takes when it comes to certain sports like baseball, and on top of that, what, what irritates me the most of these conversations, baseball is such a team-centric sport. To blame the failures of a franchise like the Angels on one guy like Shohei Otani means you have not paid attention to a lick of what has happened with the Angels since he has been part of the team. You know who else is not a Hall of Famer in the future? Aaron Judge. I thought about him too, immediately. But I don't think he would have that same thought, right? Of course not. (laughs) Of course not. Uh, What's the latest update with this Bears situation? Both of you guys jumping on this. Uh, JVT's here. It's Cofield, Damon. I'm actually on the road in El Paso, and the guys are in the Finley Toyota Studios. So tell me what happened here with uh, Alan Williams, D.C., for the Bears, because then all of a sudden we had – like I saw 88 people had sources about the FBI in a raid. Yeah. So it turns out – here's the interesting part about this. So we get the news yesterday. Alan Williams, defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, resigns. And the initial thought are some unsavory rumors about some legal issues. And, you know, you can connect the things together. Generally, Pat McAfee put it pretty well earlier. When something is raided, right, we kind of have like three main things we can check off the list that's probably uh, up for discussion in terms of what the person is in trouble for. So the initial rumors were that Hallis Hall uh, was raided, as was Alan Williams' resident. However, it turns out that, and the Bears have done a very good job about wording this properly, Hallis Hall and the Bears have nothing to do with this. So we don't know if there's any confirmation about whether or not Alan Williams' resident uh, residence right. was actually raided and as to why. Uh, but there are a lot of people, including Pat McAfee, who, who have said, right, like, hey, I talked to my sources. This happened. Ensued for a lot of stuff. But our sources have told us, yep. okay, have told me that an FBI raid did happen on defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bear, Allen Williamson's house. And I think as soon as you hear that, immediately everybody thinks about, you know, what have you heard about houses being FBI raided before? Mm -hmm. There's obviously very, very, very serious, disgusting allegations uh, that potentially could be in play here. There's also potential drugs, right, that could be in play here. There could be some other stuff taking place. Nonetheless, he has resigned from the Chicago Bears quickly. He has been removed, and all the conversation around him has kind of been very distant. The Bears have kind of just said, it's a personal matter. They're Mm -hmm. dealing with it. They're doing their whole thing. So we will see how this all turns out. Not a good time. Yeah, not a good time. I, I think it's incredible. I will say the coverage so far, I think, is incredibly irresponsible because I've seen so many people who are like, man, if what I'm hearing is true, yep. oh, my God. Like, what, what is going on here? Don't throw stuff out. Like, I mean, is it R. Kelly? What, like, what, what, what is happening with this guy? So we'll, we'll build on this uh, weird situation in Chicago. You already have a situation with Justin Fields and maybe being misquoted. But on the way back, we're going to uh, get into what's going on down here in El Paso. UNLV is on the road against El Paso as Uh, One of the guys who's on the broadcast, Mando Medina, will be up on Cofield and Company. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, rolling on here on a Thursday. 
Cofield and Company, El Paso and in Vegas. John Montobo is here. Damon is alongside as well. John, how much are you looking forward to this game this weekend? Kind of a prove-it, back-it-up game for the Rebels. Oh, I mean, huge. Just given the narrative, given everything that we've talked about leading up to this game, right, the comeback, how if you're going to graduate as a program, these are wins that you have to have. The fact that they're favored on the road, uh, which is really a unique spot for UNLV, given the past of the program as well. So, oh, very excited to see what they have to bring to the table. All right, let's get the uh, the flavor of UTEP and the Miners and El Paso. And Mando Medina has been on the sidelines for a while doing radio uh, with the UTEP program. He joined Steve and John and Damon in Vegas. How are you, sir? Hey, brothers. What's going on, guys? How are you today? We're good. We're real good. We're glad you're joining us. So l- let me get the most important thing out of the way first. Yes, sir. I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but uh, I'm in El Paso. So what's the uh-huh. must-hit restaurant and what is the must-hit bar slash dive bar? Oh, you want a dive bar, it's literally, you're going to be in luck, Steve, because it's literally close to the stadium, about maybe a five-minute drive. It's called King Dex. And it's okay. a, but, I mean, it's a dive bar. It's a dive bar, brother, but you're going to like it. You know, to have a couple of brewskis, and uh, you have a good time. You tell me that I said, because I used to do, actually, one of my talk shows, I used to do it from there very many moons ago, but it is a tremendous uh, place to have a cold one, if you know what I'm saying. Are you guys flying out right away with the team, or do you get to hang out for a little bit? Uh, that's the tough part. We fly after the game. We fly out right away. But I'm I'm actually in El Paso today and most of the day tomorrow. Okay. Well, I'm in, in town tomorrow. Okay. And I also you, have tomorrow night oh, to hang out. You got you got plenty of time. I'll I'll shoot you a text to see what's the best restaurant because yeah. I myself got to look at. Obviously, you don't want Mexican, but then again, in Las Vegas, you got plenty. At Las Vegas, you got a bunch of stuff, baby. You know what we I'm do. saying? I mean, we do. but here in El Paso, we do have authentic Mexican food. I can't tell you that 100. percent yeah, we're uh, we're pretty close to the border here, so I trust that it's super authentic. So I want to pick the, the best the best spot. Man, Medina's with us. All right, let's talk about the beginning of the season here for UTEP because I think expect, uh, expectations are certainly better than one and three. What have you seen so far? You know, especially in these games against the Power Fives. Oh, uh, well, especially the Power Fives. It's uh, games of uh, two different halves. Of course, with Northwestern there at Chicago, the the game was probably I think it was tied seven seven at the half, which nobody really expected. Uh, I'm the biggest automakers expected that. And then the second half, I think Northwestern realized, hey, we're a power five. We should start acting like that. Then, of course, you have a team that had lost 12 games in a row, and you give them any type of hope. And you guys know this. When there's a team that's down and out, they look for any type of spark. All of a sudden, they get a touchdown. All of a sudden, they get an interception, another touchdown. Next thing you know, they kind of it all comes back to them, and they win that ball game. But UTEP, I know the record is one to three. It is really not an indication of how bad they really, how people perceive them to be. Last week against Arizona, same thing. First half, this team was totally in it. Up until, like I said, like maybe one minute before halftime when the defense finally gave up another touchdown. But the defense is what's been keeping the UTEP Miners in these football games. And like I said, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you guys right now. The Miners are struggling offensively. The defense is, like I said, doing a, a scout job. The numbers may not look like that because, like I said, you have the defense out there the whole time. They're going to start getting tired. Make sure you know they're going to make adjustments to offensive coordinators, and then all of a sudden their offense gets swinging, and then the defense, it just looks bad for them. But the, the main problem is that the, uh, the offense is re- really struggling with the U10 minors. Right now, Gavin Hardison is having problems connecting with wide receivers. Last week at Arizona, the wide receivers – had a lot of drop balls, which is something that I hadn't seen. And then, honestly, they're banged up in the running spot. You got uh, Deion Hankins, Mike Franklin, 
and uh, another running back they got towards Burgess right now. They're a banged-up group, and this is a team that's built for the running game. So when you got your running game not 100%, it's going to be tougher than to win games. But it, it shows me that the odds makers in Vegas really haven't given up on this minor team because I heard you guys talking. And you Actually, the way you guys talk coming back from break, that's how everybody here talks about UTEP. You know, you're going to win this game. That's, that's how we started the season with um, – we're Jacksonville State. You got to prove to people you're better than this team, and the Miners ended up losing to this team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at UTEP, the, the fact that I think they're only, I think the the line is what two and a half for you guys for UNLV. That shows me that they still kind of respect what the defense is doing, but uh, but honestly, Steve, the the offense they've got to get it going because if the offense can't get going going this game, it's going to be a long night for the UTEP Miners. On Saturday night, M- Mando. When you, when you talk about this offense, you know it's it's pretty interesting to hear you say that because when you look at some of the metrics like PFF and whatnot, Gavin Hardison's actually graded out pretty well as an offensive yeah. player overall. And you mentioned maybe some of the issues. So what everything like what has happened with this offense? Would you think it's more scheme? Would you think it's more player? Because for at least for the numbers would tell you they have an above average quarterback. If, if you look at the numbers, you're a thousand percent correct. If you look at the time of possession, here, here's the, 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 the winning, the coach to coach demo. You win time of possession. You don't have that many turnovers. You win the games. But that's exactly what's happened for the minors. They have a plus minus. Uh, the turnovers doing okay. You know, the defense is playing okay. The offense, they're, 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 they're winning the time of the battle, time of possession. But the problem is once you get into the red zone, they're not able to convert. They haven't been able to find that, you know, and I know uh, I'm curious to see what type of scheme that Coach Dimmo is going to bring up this Saturday against the Rebels because, like I said, they, they need some type of spark right now because it's, it's kind of like I, I kind of alluded to before with Northwestern, that Northwestern is down. They just need some type of spark to get it going. That's what a lot of us feel about the UT Miners on offense because, like I said, defense, they're fine on defense. You know, they're doing a great job on defense. Uh, I don't know if you saw the highlights. For the uh, the UTEP Arizona game, uh, I think number four for Arizona made probably the best inter- best catch I've ever seen. One handed catch, like jumping high, backwards caught it. The the whole thing I'm trying to say is that the crowd went crazy there at the stadium. I thought for there, okay, the rod is on now because at that time it was still like a seven point ball game, but the minor defense still shut them down, forced them to go to a field goal, blocked the field goal, so all that meant nothing. So like I said, the defense is doing fine. The offense, they got to get it going. The big thing is going to see if whether or not this, uh, the running backs, John Hankins, and Mike Franklin was injured towards the end of the game. So I'm not sure if he's going to play. Uh, they got a couple of other kids that can put in. But right now, I think, I think Gavin Hardesty needs to make a couple of connections with those wide receivers. Because we've seen instances and for the first two games where he has been able to connect with his wide receivers. But for the last couple of games, especially the last two halves of both games, there's been nothing there. Mando Medina is with us here at Cofield and company as we uh, get you ready for UNLV and UTEP. It's on the road. It's here in El Paso. Cofield on the road in El Paso. Uh, last couple things, Mando. Uh, you kind of hinted at the vibe around UTEP football in El Paso. What sort of place does it have? Uh, how much enthusiasm is there? And I heard the Sun Bowl is pretty cool, so I'm looking forward to watching the game at the Sun Bowl. Oh, you've never been to the Sun Bowl. I'll tell you this. this. I'm sure you do the same thing since you travel with the team. Every time I, I travel with the team and, you, you know, you're on the buses with them, I always kind of see the environment that I'm going to come into the stadium. Steve, when you, when you drive up to the Sun Bowl and you're going to see that there is literally a 
about a fit, and we used to be sixty thousand uh, uh, capacity. Now it's about fifty because it's about fifty-five because it's some renovations. But it is a stadium in the middle of a mountain. That's the best way to describe it to you. It is a tremendous view. It is one of the most beautiful, and not just because that's where I, where I get to do these games every single weekend. Uh, but it is one of the uh, most beautiful stadiums that I have ever seen. When you had the opportunity, like you, you and I do, and everybody involved in college athletics and football, you get to travel to different stadiums. It is, it is without a doubt a beautiful stadium. And people still haven't given up on the miners. They think the miners, like I said, all they needed some type of spark, you know. But at the same time, we we wait, we're waiting for that spark because all of a sudden you're one and three. Next thing you know, you don't want to go one and four. Next thing you know, you don't want to go one and five. Eventually, the fans expect it to click. Uh, but I, I think the miners do have, the, without a doubt, the miners have the capability. Uh, to connect, and I'm sure that Gavin Hardison and the receivers work very hard because I think if he plays very well, Gavin Hardison, I, I think the Miners have a tremendous shot of winning this football game. Mando, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for a couple minutes. I'll see you out on the field on Saturday, and thanks for checking in with us. You got you, brothers. Have a good day, brothers. There he is, Mando Medina. I better get that text. Better get that text. Actually, the funny thing is the place he mentioned, the bar, I already have that down. Oh, I really? did some good research. Oh, yeah, yeah, because there's a – I watched a bunch of uh, foodie things uh, on El Paso, and they have, one of the shows happened to go to a uh, Mexican restaurant where they have real good breakfast, and they're like, and the best part about it is you can go right next door to the King's X. I'm like, okay, taco shop next to a bar. I'm in. But, uh, I'm all about that. Is El Paso – because I don't know. Is it, is it a big city or is it a small town? Uh, I think it is a medium-sized town. Okay. I just got down here. Obviously, it's a border town, but no, it's a pretty good-sized city. Okay. All right. I just wonder yeah. if there's like the if it's smaller, I would assume the dive bar is the dive bar what am I looking for? Density? It'd be a lot more. Oh, I, I think um I forget who I was saying it to yesterday. This is a working class town. This is not a frou frou oh, yeah. place, so uh that's where you're gonna have bars. Uh people like me, people like you, people like Damon, we need to drink. So that's I'm gonna right. feel right at home here in El Paso. Did I did I overstate it? Are you are you kind of are you bougie? Me or Damon? I mean, might be Demond. I mean, as I've become golfer in high school, I mean, he's got he's got kind of a country club background. I mean, before Demond goes, I will say, as I become more national, I become more bougie. You know, I expect higher things. I'm the working man. Yeah, actually, you'd be surprised. I was I didn't know Demond drank. I I don't really know that much about Demond outside of the studio. So I I didn't know that Demond was a, a drinker. I can't wait to intro everyone because I think a lot of people got intro to it this morning to your guy, the Mad Dog, and oh. he he did something on first take today that I was like, okay, and people went freaking crazy about it, but I guess they assumed he was this conservative old man. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on. we got uh, Xavier Pope coming up at 2.40. Again, Mondays and Thursdays, we're on 2 to 5 as we head into Thursday Night Football or Monday Night Football, and we got a very intriguing, although right now the Giants have looked like hell, intriguing Thursday Night Football game with the Niners, or is they, you know, are they as good as they've looked at times? They, they had some moments where they were a little bit weak against the Rams, and we'll see if the Giants can bounce back. Von Tobel's here. It's Cofield, Demon as well. You know, we... We talk about announcing and, and commentary and TV shows and radio people a lot, and I, sometimes I want to make sure people know. Like, there are a lot of people we like and we're entertained by. And, John, you were mentioning, and I know Adam says this all the time, that you really don't care who does the games as the analyst. And Because you know, I was kind of banging on Herbie and, and Aikman as guys who sometimes come off during the games as guys who don't love football. Um, 
I think Ross Tucker is a, a rising star. He's got a really good sense of humor. He played in the NFL. He's very smart. Uh, he'll joke about it. He went to Princeton, but again, you know, kind of a dumb guy from Princeton. But he's not. He's very smart. But he loves the game. He loves the game. Uh, and I just wanted to go back and play a couple of highlights from the UNLV game uh, last weekend against Vanderbilt. And not only was he having fun, but he also pointed out some really cool things that he saw that I, I think make him a smart analyst. Uh, fire number one here, Damon. Three minutes left. UNLV doing the right thing here by milking as much time as they possibly can. Obviously, the dream here for UNLV is they score with as little time left on the clock as possible. I like them taking the play clock down. Snap it with 11. Rayava rollout. Deep shots. Gets there. DeJesus. Touchdown, Rebels. Seven yards to take the lead. In the slot to the right. Second time we've seen this tonight. It's not happening. It is not happening where a safety at depth like that is going to cover one of these speed demon receivers. Vanderbilt got it once to Humphreys. That time it was DeJesus beating House, but you're really putting your safety in a bad spot there. Yeah, I thought that was a really good point about the safeties because we saw it throughout the game, and it's something that UNLV has to fix in defending deep shots. I also love the fact that Ross sets it up, and he's like, yeah, they're just going to kind of grind it out here, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're going deep. Mm. And that became the theme down the stretch. Both coaching staffs are like, screw it. We got receivers who can run. Throw it to them. I, I also like when the, – the thing that does stick out for me with certain analysts, I like when they will see themes throughout a game. So, like, in, in that instance, right – He's mentioning, and, and the second he said it, it called back to my mind because I was watching it at a bar with the sound on too, which is that first deep touchdown pass that Vandy got was on a safety, right? They had to cover the slot, and it was a simple little like deep post, and they got burned on it. And the fact that you can recall that and then bring that theme over to another play call and you see that happen again, I like when analysts can do that, and that was a really good moment by Tucker. I thought he did a good job, but that was I like when analysts can actually pull those things together. Swan, deep ball, near side, touchdown, Quincy Skinner Jr. And an extra point away from tying it. What is going on right now? This game is off the chain. I mean, he just ran right by him. I don't know what Ricky Johnson's doing. Yeah, I don't know what Ricky was doing on that play. That was, was such a weird but, moment, but, man. But again, the point, like, I, like I just don't hear a lot of announcers just go, just kind of throw their hands up, and they're like, "This is incredible." Yep. Uh, that's what's supposed to be coming through TV and on the radio. Freaking have fun! Here's one more call. This was uh, CBS as uh, Ross Tucker and uh, Chris Lewis on the call. Mayaba deep ball near side, White's down. He catches it. Stephon out of bounds inside the twenty with nine seconds left. How do you let that happen? I can't believe that. I mean, I, I cannot believe that. It was 35 yards. Snap, kick, Pisano, connects! LV leads with five seconds left. Mayava to White to get him there. I've seen a lot of football, Chris. I don't know if I've seen a lot of what just happened here tonight, and especially these last 30 seconds. I mean, Vanderbilt that was really cool. misses an easy field goal that you 
Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, stepping on his analysis, but that was really cool. He was excited. I mean, it, it deserved that moment. I, I'll tell you the other thing. I thought CBS did a really good job of capturing the crowd excitement, and it wasn't the biggest crowd, but the cameraman actually kind of focused in on certain sections, and I know you got really mad that at lady. the, uh, the, Van, the Vandy mom, uh, Hinton, Hinton's mom, but uh, I bad. thought they did a really good job on the call and also framing the game, and that was a, that was a really fired-up crowd. All right, we got some fired-up issues to get into here with Xavier Pope. <laughs> As there's this lunacy going on in Chicago with this defensive coordinator, uh, Alan Williams, and then uh, we got to get to Jerry Jones, and then uh, the Mad Dog Russo talking about throwing down gummies. It's a wild time on the way. Xavier Pope, lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor. He is live on Cofield and Company. All right, Xavier, what's going on, buddy? Hey man, I'm doing doing pretty good, man. How are you, Steve? I am good. I'm actually in the um, uh, in the border town of El Paso, so looking to have a good time next couple of days covering some UNLV football. Uh, I don't know why you're laughing. This is, is going to be a very fun trip. Uh, <laughs> well, I, uh, JVT I'll tell you another time about making a wrong turn in El Paso and winding up in lost in Mexico for two hours, but that's a whole other story. If it happens, it happens. I'm a survivor. Wait, they, um, all right. Well, no, like border look, check. I don't like, know if no Alan passport? Williams is going to be able to survive what's going on right now. There are some crazy rumors about the DC for the Bears. Yeah, crazy rumors, and I, I think that what the most important thing about that is that mainstream news outlets didn't amplify it. Uh, it was amplified on Elon Musk's Twitter. I think that's the danger. Giving these blue check the opportunity to put things out there that become part of the zeitgeist of what's being talked about on the internet um, when you're allowing them to amplify messages that are false. And, and um, many people may not necessarily be aware of it, but they might be to talk about the FBI raided the uh, Hallis Hall, Bears headquarters, um, and that's why Alan Williams um, left his position as the defensive coordinator of Chicago Bears when there were some family issues that, that he were, was having, and he talked over with his wife and addressed it. And I talked earlier today um, with his legal advisor, Andrew Stroh, um, and he talked about the danger of social media and how it's gotten out of control. Um, and what things that are said about uh, him were defamatory even. Uh, and that the Bears put out a short statement. People will wonder why did the Bears put out a short statement about his departure. But he talked about the Bears, hey, they wanted to be able to protect his personal and health information, uh, which what employees should do, right, under the law. Um, and, to be able to, and that's how the situation ended. It was a much more amicable parting then the crazy salation is that would happen. Yeah, I thought it was absurd how many people came out and said, I have a source that is saying this, and you're not going to believe what the story is. And my guess is it's probably one or two sources who are spreading some stories to dozens of so-called reporters. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the problem. I mean, you have that double-edged sword, Steve, right? You don't want to be able to reveal, quote-unquote, sources per se, but you also want to make sure that those sources are credible pieces of information um, they're able to provide accurate, uh, accurate information for news. Otherwise, you have people just creating rumors on their internet and spreading them, and then, then you know, and, and then actually turning to news. I don't know if you remember a ball sack sport. Come up with these fake articles. They wind up on ESPN, get it accidentally reported, and so it, 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 something needs to change about how information is passed along. It's important to be accurate than this. Be first about a certain story. Well, we get Dion stuff every week. There's something to debate with Dion almost every week, and they had a nice come-behind victory uh, after kind of talking trash, uh, after CSU would talk trash, Jay Norvell going at Dion. Um, 
I don't know if you saw Uncle Luke on this one uh, from Two Live Crew. Did you see this? No, I missed that. What did you say? So Uncle Luke said, uh, you had white people in a sports bar in Miami rooting for Colorado State. They know nothing about Colorado State because they, uh, they just don't want to see a black man from Florida succeed. Um, what do you think, Uncle Luke, they're suggesting that a lot of us whites are rooting against Deion Sanders? Oh, wait, okay, you can't put yourself in defending people in the fight. Um, in the in on the on the boat, dock worker, be and then put yourself out of it. You got to pick the, pick a side, Steve. I think on the, on the I think on the on the on the side of people who want Deion Sanders to, to fail. There's an article in New Yorker about it yesterday by by a white writer. Um, there is a certain segment of society that don't that that Deion Sanders has addressed successful African American who who are very out, outspoken in who they are and. And there's a, a crowd that I, that's actively rooting against them. I've posted various things online, and you've seen some, some of the very coded language that's been used to describe him. Um, and if, if, if Jay Novell was a white coach, people would have talked about that in a more racialized way because it really sounded really um, like respectability politics. And I think that people want to lean into that in terms of how to attack Dion being part of the hip-hop generation. So he's been part of the generation part of coming up with people criticizing him for that. So there may be some, some measure of tr- so, so truth to some of that. Uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, like, the guy's just trying to be a successful coach in, in, in football and raise guys to be better men and get to the next level. And I think that's the focus should be on. There were also some interesting comments by Lewis Riddick. Um, and then I know Jamel Hill's had a really active week on Twitter. She's always active, but she's had some really good stuff this week. Um, the suggestion by Riddick is that uh, it might be even worse for a guy like Norvell to go at Dion, uh, sort of black-on-black crime, uh, you know, figuring that, hey, Jay Norvell understands what it's like to be a black college football coach since there aren't that many of them, so how dare he go at Dion? Uh, I don't think that – I think that he's – Louis Riddick is actually one of the smartest guys on, on television. So there is some credence to that in terms of him because he in a position – he's been in a position rumors to be able to move through and getting – um, important jobs in the sports world as well. So the, his life is impacted by some of these various decisions that are being made, unfortunately, in and around sports and sports leadership. Uh, and so he has a vested interest in having that conversation. On the flip side of that is Jay Novell. Uh, he's at a program at Colorado State that doesn't have the same shine as Colorado. And Beyond Sanders comes to town, and he wants to be able to make a name for himself as a coach. And talking trash may be the, the way to do it. But to talk trash like that about respectability politics and then have you guys commit 10 personal fouls doesn't seem incongruent with the message he was trying to send across. And I thought that's what I had the real issue with. Xavier, when it comes to respectability politics, we see that the Colorado players, they're not shying away from it. You got Shador, he, he's flashing the <laughs> rolly at people pregame. But we saw with Travis Hunter, players are looking to take him out now. It's coming with some baggage that the, uh, the flash that Colorado has – do you think that they should tone it down a little bit because now these guys got targets on their backs? I, I think that the targets on their backs was, was, I think that that's limited to maybe that one game. And I think that also you have to consider that if they're treating Colorado like they won a national championship, this team won a one game last year. Uh, and, they're, and there's a lot of attention about them. Heck, the game is being moved from the middle of the night now to, the, to, to, to eggs and, and beer time for USC I mean, for, uh, for, uh, for Oregon game with Colorado this, this week coming up. And so I think that you have that target on your back. But Deion Sanders has addressed this specifically. He said when you are seeking to be successful, you're going to have a target on your back, and you have to be able to face that. I think the confidence of that team, 
Um, they, they have to be, be able to move forward. It, playing dirty is, is, is something that shouldn't be tolerated. And, I mean, that's why NCAA, as well as uh, is the National Football League, has tried to help with player safety. And I think that it's important that player safety is continues to be enforced. You don't want to hurt guys trying to send a message to the team. Xavier Pope, attorney out of Chicago, cultural contributor here on Cofield and Company. Earlier slot now, he's on at 240 every Thursday. So there was an interesting video making the rounds today from First Take. Stephen A is there with Molly, and uh, Mad Dog Russo out of New York is there. And Mad Dog talks about watching college football this weekend, throwing down some gummies, uh, laying 10 grand down uh, on Colorado, also doing it illegally through a bookie. And I saw that Jamel pointed out, well, isn't this interesting? Who can talk like that and talk about stuff like that and, and who can? One of the first people I thought of was, you know, maybe it's time for Paul Pierce to come back to ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it is because that's some of the talks that Paul Pierce had and that's some of the talks that got him kind of kicked off air, right? Uh, and so I think that the, the, the world has changed. Um, and I think that someone like Paul Pierce would be entertaining and he would be Someone that be, would be fine on air. Some of the different things that Paul Pierce had done, has done in terms of his behavior on and off the field, I don't even think that people will maybe look at that the same as they may have done like a couple of years ago. Xavier Pope is up on Cofield and Company. All right, we got another issue that's starting to uh, grow and grow and grow the last couple of weeks, and that is the Jim Trotter lawsuit, which then pointed out what Terry Pagula, the owner of the Bills, and what Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, had said in the past, which was very disparaging remarks about African-Americans and um, didn't sound very open-armed when it comes to more diversity, more African-American ownership in the National Football League. And I know uh, Jamel was all over that one. And then I saw, I think Clarence Hill retweeted it, that Jerry Jones is trying to sell this thing like, hey, you know, when I bought the Cowboys, it was very risky. I didn't have a whole lot of money then. And uh, other people pointed out, like, Jerry, you come for money. You've been fine the whole way. You had a hand up from the get-go. I think it's ridiculous for Jerry Jones or any professional sports owner to cry a river about the amount of money it took to purchase the team when they're allowed to be able to purchase it in the first place. And then it's not just the money you have to pony up. You have to be approved to buy the team. Uh, And so it also have to consider the value of sports franchises as it relates to modern times. I'll cry me a river, uh, Jerry Jones, and that's definitely not a way to respond to some some, some, some thoughts about diversity and ownership. Good grief. And by by the way, this is not a – and DeMond, I want you to go here in a second – this is not th- th- that comment right there about oh you know what I-, I wasn't that rich when I bought the team like it is so <laughs> absurd and that's that that should be that should insult everyone who didn't come from millionaires or people you know or people slightly below that in terms of wealth <laughs> don't try to sell this bull crap to us because in the end when Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys he was worth a lot of money if Jerry Jones had failed what would have happened he would have found a way to get more money and he would have been just as successful moving you know moving past it like five years later let's not talk about risk and rock bottom please yeah it's so insulting of everyone's intelligence but doesn't Jerry Jones always insult everyone's intelligence Um, but that's the type of person that Jerry Jones is Um, and he turns an issue about diversity into making it about himself what? Yeah, I think one of the All bigger. Right, yeah, I was gonna say. I think one of the bigger problems there is he mentions, "Hey, I would give Magic Johnson a piggyback ride and we'll walk across the state of Texas to get him ownership." But the fact that he can only name one black person, and it's one of the top five basketball players of all time, that's a guy who should be a minority owner in our league. It's like, okay, that's the one black friend you can think of, Magic Johnson. 
And, and, and he also named a former player. Uh, I, I, he, you have to consider how all these other rich, these rich owners, mostly white guys, got money. They were definitely outside of, of using running and jumping using a, a basketball. And what that does show is this huge wealth gap in the country and, and the, the, the access and the pathways to become wealthy in the first place. It only exists in the hands of a certain number of people, and you can all you can track that down to history how that wealth has been created and how it's been built and how it's being distributed and why it looks that why why NFL ownership looks the way it does. I want to turn over to Mel Tucker because Michigan State they're firing him with calls. He basically has a week to turn over some evidence that would prove his innocence. I don't think that's going to happen. But when a job says that they're firing you with calls. What standards do they have to reach to say, hey, what exactly is cause? Is my question. Demont, that's a great question, Demont. It really depends on the nature of the contract and a certain clause. Some various clause could be a morality clause or some other type of clause, or it may be a, 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 a termination clause that mentions how certain distributions of monies in relation to their contract uh, are. Uh, and typically, um, there are certain outline lists of behaviors or violations of that particular contract. Um, that will result in termination for cause. But there's termination without cause, which, which definitely that would, re- would result in money being paid. But usually, termination for cause result in a much further, uh, much lower amount, if at all, um, someone being paid. And so, this is going to take it to a lawsuit. Uh, there's no way, uh, and I think they are trying to push forward with this investigation as much as possible. They maybe not feeling that Mel Tucker has been as cooperative as he should be. But I think this is this is where Mel, this is where the rubber hits the road, and Mel Tucker is going to have to sue for any money, ninety five million dollars, ten years he uh, he signed with Michigan State. Xavier, good spot, man. We appreciate it. Have a good weekend, and wish me luck on the border. Man, make sure you follow street signs, man. <laughs> Love you guys. Boy, should I? Love See you. Ya. Love you too. Should should I be that worried, John? If I turn the wrong way, it seems like a little bit of an inflated statement. I think I'll be okay. Well. That was going to be my question to him, which is how do you make a wrong turn and go to a different country? Don't you have to show documentation to get <laughs> yes. there? Yes, yeah. yes. The border border's a little more fortified than a lot of people uh, will tell you. Um, to go back to Jerry Jones with the Crimea River about what a risk he took, that he wasn't really in a position to buy an NFL team, I hate when people of means speak like that and expect the rest of us to accept that. And I got to tell you, I'm sure everyone in the audience – has been around people on a regular basis or works with them where they hear about how tough that person's upbringing was. And you're like, no, it wasn't like, I see the way you live your life. There's no rock bottom coming. Cut it out. I'll give you a good example. And, and maybe, you know, John does come from a family that has a park and a school and, uh, and a tool, you know, and a community center. Don't forget it. At the community center. Um, you were, you, you sent over a message today about how out of control now things are with, the power. Oh my the power God. bill. My, my power bill if, doubled if, last month. If you can't pay that thing for three months, your family's going to step up and pay it for you? Or better yet, would you ask? Oh, I wouldn't ask. Like, I know they probably would do it for me, but I would never ask. I'd rather go without power than actually ask the question. How crazy, by the way, how crazy was it? It was double. It was double what it usually is. I, I don't God. know where it came from. I, I swear, like, we didn't use that much of a difference, but... All of a sudden, it was over like 350 bucks, and I was like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah mine, mine's got up at least 20%. So, uh, yeah, we just sweat now. That's, that's We just no AC. We just sweat. Oh, I'm walking around naked. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, no one in my house wants me walking around naked. That's the sad reality of this whole situation. So please lower our power bills, please. 